Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of women over 70, Aging Reimagined, and we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. Today, we are delighted to welcome Mary Reckhammer Meyer. She is 72 years old and lives in Surprise, Arizona. Mary reached out to us after listening to several podcasts, and once I spoke with her, I knew she was a woman we wanted to interview. Mary's journey began when she went through divorce in her 40s after 26 years of marriage. Returning to work and to school in the evenings, she eventually opened her own state farm agency. Mary learned to listen to the still, small voice within, her voice that would inspire her to dream big, become her authentic self, and be brave enough to do the things that she believed in, to live her life with no regrets. At 69, Mary faced yet another crisis. She was diagnosed with a serious cancer. Able to visualize healing, she found help from the goal-setting techniques she had learned earlier in life, seeing it as yet another journey and ultimately turned adversity into opportunity. Mary believes that life is full of twists and turns. Why survive when you can thrive? At 72, Mary recreated herself once again and became an author and speaker letting others know they have options and can choose the life they want to become their authentic self. In her newly released book, I Meant It for Good, a memoir for dreaming, visualizing, and becoming my authentic self. Mary shares her story. She believes life doesn't happen to you. It happens through you, and her book shows you how. So Mary, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so are we. Let's start by discussing, uh, you talked about uh, having bravery that you experienced after your divorce. And where did it come from? You, did you not know that it was there? And, and, and then you opened your own state farm agency. So how did all that come about? Well, you know, I, I've thought about this over the years, and I don't know that I thought too much about bravery. I, I grew up in North Dakota to hardworking parents, and they were farmers. And we were poor at the time, but I don't think we even knew it. They had, we raised our own food. My mother sewed our clothes. And, you know, I think their hard work that they did, it became my normal. So I married young, had four children, never went to college. And I think that hard work, I just took on the same life because that's all I knew. So when, when I went through the divorce, I, I think I was angry. And I, I didn't know how to support myself. It was in the 90s. And 
I didn't even have a credit card in my name. So I think that anger somehow fueled my passion to make something of myself, almost a, I'll prove to you I can do it. And I can remember going to counseling and, and learning for the first time about myself. And I think up until that time, I had lived my life like I thought someone else wanted me to live it or maybe how I thought I should live it. I grew up in an era where we didn't have self-help books, and we quite frankly didn't talk a lot of, you know, about personal things. So for me, this was something new, just learning about myself. And it's seriously, I think part of this too is there's probably a little Scarlett O'Hara in me, you know, the line where she picks up the dirt and says, is God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. <laughs> So I think that was probably part of this. And I'm not sure I even knew it was there when I was married. But being thrown out there, it was like it stirred something inside of me. And I, I knew that I wanted to find myself. And I think once I went back to work and took college classes in the evening, I started on this path of learning and growing. And it, it became liberating for me, if you will. And so the bravery, I don't think it's a, a big, brave thing that we do. I think it's the little steps. It's putting one foot in front of the other. It's having a plan and just taking the action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That must have been quite difficult, though, for you. Well, it was. But, you know, I, I tell people that I wouldn't want to go through a divorce again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But, you know, I wouldn't give up the growth process for anything in the world. Right. How, how is it that you steered towards uh, insurance? Well, it was interesting. I, I went back to work and I was working part-time in a small company. And I decided um, after taking some college classes that I needed to be in a larger organization when I came out with my degree at the age I was, if I really wanted to do anything. And so I, I remember in college reading a book. It was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of um, Highly Effective People. And he talked about starting with the end in mind. And that was so strange to me, starting with the end in mind. But to realize that you could visualize something and create it. And I was fascinated by that. So I was living in central Illinois at the time, and I started looking for a large enough company that I, that I wanted to even be in. And um, I, I ended up working for State Farm in Bloomington in their Illinois regional office. And so it was while I was working there that I had the opportunity to look at being a State Farm agent. And I realized that once I got my degree, whether I stayed inside or whether I went outside as an agent, either one was going to be a great career path for me. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go through their program and, and look at the um, program for agency to be an agent and, and see if it's something I wanted to do. And so you could look at it, and then they looked at you, and you had to be accepted into the program, and you had to be interviewed at that time by three teams of agents and agency leaders. And so I, I 
the day before of the interview, I walked down to the executive office and it was this huge conference table and you sat at the end of it with all of them lined up. <laughs> Very few. There, there were some. Oh, okay, good. So I went down the day before. Of course, there was nobody there. And I'm like, I'm just going to visualize this. I'm going to visualize the questions they ask. I'm going to visualize my answers. And, you know, it really helped because the next day going in, I already knew the answers to the questions. You know, I mean, it was, it was just kind of interesting just to go in and feel like you had been there before. Yeah. Wow. That was pretty smart. So for me, visualization became, you know, it just became a huge process of what I did. So I was offered a State Farm agency, and at 51, I moved to a small town where I didn't know a soul and opened my own office. But again, in a way that was liberating for me because it was a way to start over. And I knew it would be scary, but I also knew that I was on my own and I was going to make this work. And I soon learned that, you know, I could sell, I could make this work. But I was working so many hours. And it was about this time I met a life coach. And he helped me to realize that I couldn't put all my energy into a career, that I had to have a balance in my life. And, you know, I think that the things I learned back there, the balance in all the different areas of your life, they were the disciplines that later would help me um, when I was went through other things in my life, they became so important later because they were already in place at that time. So, and th this, prob this probably doesn't have anything to do with the agency, but it has to do kind of with recreating myself. When I moved there and I didn't know an anyone, I ended up purchasing a home by myself. And then the building that my office was in um, if I wanted to stay in that location, I had to purchase that. So I purchased both buildings. And this was huge for me at the time. <laughs> but this would become, eventually become the basis for my retirement home in Arizona. How was that? Um, the, the profit that I made from that, I was able to turn around and invest in a retirement home in Arizona ah. from those two buildings. Smart move. Very smart move. Yeah. When you say retirement home, Mary, does that mean that you then moved out of the State Farm agent's work? Yes, I did. I, um, I don't believe we talked about this, but I remarried 14 years ago. So at that time, my husband, um, well, we could do a whole show on just dating and remarriage again at my age. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to hear about some of that, yes. Right. So anyway, we lived in, he, he lived in a different town. It was an hour and a half from where I lived, and he had his own business. And so we commuted every day, this hour and a half between houses. And we'd wake up in the morning and wonder which house we were at and where we were going to go to. And, <laughs> but anyway, we, um, we dated for two years. Then we were married. And after we were married, that's when we lived, in, we lived there for two years in these two different houses, if you will, trying to figure out what to do. And neither one of us were ready to give up our career. We were both a little stubborn. And you just try to figure these things out. And life sometimes isn't easy. You just have to walk through the process. So eventually I did retire from State Farm 
and I moved to where he was at. And at that, and that was a real soul searching moment for me because I had worked so hard to establish this. And was I just giving this up for someone else or was this the right move? And looking back, it definitely was the right move. But wow, when you're going through it, sometimes it's hard to decipher what is the right thing and what is not the right thing. And, and what made you decide that it was the right thing? Well, I, 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 my husband at the time had a business that he could not move. And I thought for me, there was other things that I could do. So when I left there, I got my broker's license and I sold real estate. And out of that, the opportunity was amazing to me. I ended up buying nine rental properties that we have as rental income. Mm, smart. And so it's, to me, it's just always out of these adversities, there's so many opportunities. But it's like, so often it's how you look at it and how you feel about it as you're weighing each thing out. Can you make it work? Do you want to make it work? Is it even the right thing to do? It must have been a big decision then to move to to retire. Did he retire too and move to Arizona? We, we still have a place back in central Illinois, so we're back and forth. But we find ourselves out in Arizona more and more of the time. So, <laughs> well, that's that's great. And and you're no stranger to adversity because you also had a very serious illness, a cancer illness, right? I did. I became very ill in April of 2017. And I fell through the cracks in the medical community for two months. I went from doctor to doctor and they just they just passed me from one doctor to the next. And basically I was kind of labeled as paranoid. They said there was nothing wrong with me. And I knew I was getting sicker and sicker. And um, it, 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 was a, it was a hellacious journey. I mean, I don't know how else to tell you. It was horrible. No one believed you. And finally, I had to get a new doctor and get back in the system. And she said, you haven't had blood work for a while. I'm going to order blood work. And I said, well, that's fine. So the next morning, I went at 7 o'clock. And at noon that day, the phone rang. And she told me over the phone, I had cancer. Mm. It was too far advanced to see a hematologist. I needed to get to the emergency room immediately. And they would call the doctor in the emergency room, the one on call, and tell him how to do a bone marrow biopsy. Oh, my goodness. So you must have been quite sick by that time. Yes. I, was told, I wasn't told at that time, but later I was told they probably had six weeks to live. Mm -hmm. So you had leukemia? I had leukemia, yes. Mm -hmm. So... So that's when, you know, it's, it's such a surreal moment that people have been messing around with you for two months and now you're that sick and you're like, yeah, there, there was just a little voice in my head that said, there has to be a better way. I'm not going in there. And so it's, it's a long story and I tell all about it in the book, but it's just, we're so quick to do what a doctor tells us to do without getting a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, doing what we need to do because it's our body. Mm -hmm. So I had made an appointment previously with a doctor that I thought would do some alternative treatment even before I was diagnosed, but it, was, it took me a month to get in. And that appointment fell on the Wednesday after I was diagnosed on Friday. So I decided I'm going to wait this out. I'm going to go see her. So I went to see her. 
She did the blood work again, and she said, no, this is what you have, and it's so far advanced. You need to see a hematologist. There's nothing else you can do. Mm. And so I looked her in the eye and I said, okay, that's great. But if it was you, where would you go? And she gave me the name of a couple of doctors. And I said, no, if it was you, which one would you go to? Mm -hmm. And she said, I would go to Dr. Keith Block at the Block Center for Integrative Cancer Treatment in Skokie, Illinois. Mm. I had never heard of him. Mm -mm. And I had been in the state for 50 years and he's been doing this for 30 years and I had never heard of him. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to get in to see him. And my husband went with me, my daughter. We met with Dr. Block and his team. And we were so impressed with integrative treatments, what they would do, the plan they put in place for me, as well as the hope they, dis they instilled in me. They, you know, they kept asking me what I like to do. They would have me back there. I mean, it was incredible what, mm -hmm. what they instilled in me. And because it was a blood disorder, he wanted me to see a doctor at Northwestern who specialized in this kind of leukemia. So we, there was a protocol to get into Northwestern, so we had to wait a little bit. So we went home to digest all of this, and my faith runs pretty deep. And it was during this time I asked my husband, what do we really believe? You know, do we believe I could be healed? Do we believe in prayer? And so my husband prayed over me. and he began thanking God, I was already healed. And it was so powerful. When he was done, we looked at each other and we knew I was healed. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think I also knew there was an outside chance that I wouldn't be, but that would be okay too. And for me, it was a release, a surrender, I don't know, a knowing. Um, from then on, my job was just to believe that I was healed and to visualize it mm -hmm. and that I would be okay. I mean, quite frankly, I had nowhere else to go. I didn't have anywhere else to turn. So I, I chose to believe and I chose to believe that I could be healed. Wow. And you were. Yeah, I was. <laughs> but I also believe that all the disciplines I had er learned earlier became huge because I had learned to visualize, I'd learned to meditate, and that was all part of the integrative treatment, as well as infusions and supplements and diet and exercise. And he said, you're going to exercise even when you don't feel like exercising. Mm. And I mean, they've just put this whole plan together, and I believed them. Mm -hmm. And I heard Dr. Block interviewed um, after this, and someone said to him, don't you believe it's wrong to give people false hope? And you know what his answer was? He said, there is no such thing as false hope. <laughs> mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yes, very, very. Wow. Well, uh, how long has he been there in Skokie? He's been there 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I I'll tell you what. I mean, I saw things there. I saw people coming in with stage four cancers that had their doctors had written them off. And what by the time I saw them, I didn't even know they were sick. And I said, I was up there one day with my daughter, and we were talking to someone. And this lady came up to me, and she said, you know, what's your story? Because everybody up there has a story. And I told her, and I asked hers. And she said, this was in February. I don't know what year. And she said, I came in in October, stage four lung cancer on oxygen had been um written off by my doctor basically 
And I said to my daughter, I, it, this is amazing to me because I wouldn't know she was sick talking to her. And my daughter said, Mother, she didn't see you when you came in, and she would say the same thing. <laughs> so, so from that, you then wrote a book, correct? I did. I Tell did. us about your book. Well, I'm pretty excited. It was just released March 15th, and it's mm -hmm. called I Meant It for Good, A Memoir of Dreaming, Visualizing, and Becoming My Authentic Self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew for years I wanted to write a book, and I thought it would be about overcoming obstacles and, you know, goal setting, things like that, things I'd learned. But when I was really sick, I started journaling, and I, I journaled how I fell through the cracks in the medical community and how I was so mad at these doctors and what was happening to me. And then, then my journaling switched to I was so excited because I had found doctors who were going to heal me. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept journaling. And I think that was part of my healing process, too, was just the journaling. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember driving to Chicago from downstate Illinois, and I was so messed up. I couldn't stand any noise. And I would have, it was in July, and I had this big blanket wrapped around me so I couldn't see the traffic. I couldn't hear anything. I'd have headphones on. My husband would be driving me. And I would have my laptop in my lap, and I would be writing a chapter of this book that I didn't even know I was writing. <laughs> and there was times when it seemed like it just took on a life of its own and kind of wrote itself. Mary, as you, as you were in the healing process, did, did the he, did, over what period of time did this healing take place, and how did you know when you were healed? Well, that's a great question because there's always the new normal and you don't ever go back to what you were. But I was diagnosed in April of 17. And up until six months ago, maybe three months ago, every day I kept getting better. That's how long it's taken. Mm. Mm. And so I wasn't bad in all of that, but there was just, you could just tell there was um, energy-wise, Things that I could do, there were certain days that I just couldn't function at all and I just had to be by myself. This was still happening six months ago. Mm. So in a sense, you're through all this, you're, you, it's a recovering journey. It is a recovering journey. But I think all of this, I think the journaling helped, the visualization helped. I think it's my new normal. Um, and I, I think I'm probably exercising. I've always exercised. I think I'm probably exercising more now. And it's just you try to stay ahead of it. And I, I am so incredibly blessed. It's, it's incredible to me what I've gone through and where I am right now. Yes. Well, to switch gears just a little bit, I can imagine that when you published your book, you had different plans for it than you have right now in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic. Well, I did. But, you know, that's interesting, too, because I had two launch parties planned, one in Arizona and one in Illinois. And the one in Arizona, we had between 40 and 50 people coming. And we had to cancel both those. I had a speaking engagement that canceled. I had a book fair this summer that's canceled. And yet... I'm in several Facebook groups online, and 
we had established authors that said we're going to break our own rules and if anyone has published a book during this time, we'd like to promote you. So there's always the good that comes out of things too. And you have to look for it. I mean, and quite frankly, the podcasts are just another great way because our world is changing. Mm -hmm. And you girls are ahead of the curve with your virtual podcasts. <laughs> so, so when they said they wanted to promote you, uh, so what's what's happened since then? Well, they basically what it was is they sent it to their um, if they had a newsletter or if they have a following, they sent it to all of the people that that follow them and just pretty much did a little book review on it. Mm -hmm. So it was just exposure in a different way. So this was this March fifteenth, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So this just happened. But, you know, quite frankly, it, it seems to be doing quite well for an unknown author. And um, I'm, I'm excited. My, my thing from the beginning was when I was very sick, even before I chose to write a book, I didn't know what I was going to do. But I kept saying, if I can help one person, if I can help two people, because I did not know integrative cancer treatment existed. And now, you know, I'm hearing it different places and there's different ways of doing this. I'm, I'm not about to tell you my way is the only way because I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. But I do believe there's answers out here. And we, but I believe we have to search for them. I don't think they're going to be in the mainstream. I don't think we're going to hear about them. When you say life doesn't happen to you, it happens through you. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I think we all have choices and we have options. And I think so often we don't even know that we have those. We, we live our life and we just get, this is the way we do it. This is how we drive to here. This is the way we come home. But we have, we have choices to break out of that. So if we start doing things a different way, it's almost, if you will, we can create our life. We can go out and visualize it and say, you know what, I don't like the way that looks. I'm going to recreate my life, and I want it to look this way. Mm -hmm. And so just to say, oh, this is how my life's going to be, it's just going to happen to me, then you're a victim. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Catherine, did you have any more questions? Oh, I'm back in North Dakota. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Mary, I, I, uh, I too grew up in a, in a farming family and poor, hardworking parents. This was in Minnesota. And I, I'm wondering what, what beliefs and attitudes did you hold on to from that, those formative years? And then which ones did you have to break away from? And I, you've talked about this a little bit, but just how how could how would might you capture that? Yeah, I I think for me it was um, I talk a, a, some about that in my book because I grew up very conservative, and I had to sort through my faith as well as my belief system. Uh, it's probably all intertwined for me, um, but I had but I had to find out what I believed. And in some ways, I had to 
walk the course, see what I believed. And it's like I came back to the place I was at, only now I know who I am, if, if any mm -hmm. of that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the hard work. It's the it's being truly, I talk a lot about being your authentic self. And for me, that's what came out of this was, I don't have to be what anybody else wants me to be. I think God made us all to be a different person. You know, there's some people I can help through my book. Some people won't like it, but they don't have to like it. They can write their own book. I mean, <laughs> we all have a story. We yeah. all have a story. And we're not all going to reach the same people. We're not all going to, um, I don't know. To me, I guess I'm coming back again to my authentic self, just being who you are, because that's how you're going to really help people and help yourself and learn who you are and just become real. And that's where you become free. I'm not sure I even answered your question, though, to be honest. Well, when you say that you came back to um, came back to your authentic self, I'm just wondering if some if that if there was a core of you that was formed during those early years that you've you've found you've come back to now and now knowing yourself that much better. I mean, it's, it's maybe yes. it's more apparent. Yes, to you. I think that's true because I think when I was growing up. Um, when I was really young, I didn't think too much about it. You kind of absorb it like a sponge. And then as you get older, it, for me, it was like, well, I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to do these things, whatever. And I've got to do so many things. But as I come back, it's like, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. I don't want to throw the things out that are important to me. And some of the things have become very important to me that I didn't know were important maybe when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And what, well, what are some of those things, Mary? Well, I think for one thing, my faith and just, it's just the honesty and the integrity and, and being around people that you value and that want to learn and grow and not being phony. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. Well, the uh, I have to ask you this question, which has nothing to do with what you're talking about, other than the fact that we recently interviewed a woman who was married to a man who was 20 years older than herself. Than herself, and we also interviewed a woman whose husband was 10 years younger than herself. So I have to ask you, where does your husband fall? He's eight years younger. Eight years younger. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's hope. I told you we could do another whole podcast. <laughs> on and maybe we will have to. It's, yes. it's really interesting. We met through a dating service and the things we went through, there were some days I would look at him and say, that's not how you do it. And he, or I'd say, that's not how we do it. And he would look at me and say, no, that's not how we do it. You know? <laughs> A lot of um, negotiation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, this has been wonderful, Mary. And uh, it's so great to hear that you're doing so well with your, uh, cancer diagnosis and that, that things are moving in the right direction and you're in very good shape now. It's, that's really great. 
and also to hear about your book. Where is your book available? Well, my book is on Amazon, but it's on a lot of other sites too, if you just Google it. And it just came out uh, a week ago in ebook format also. Wonderful. Okay. So I just, you know, to me, it's, it's just my way of sharing with people and tell them you're never too old to dream and visualize and create the life you want. And if I can do this, you can do it. <laughs> so what's next for you? Well, it's funny you ask. <laughs> I don't know. I've been, I've been, um, I'm, I'm looking at a format for coaching to help people take those next steps and to learn that they can do this too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. From one coach to a, a future coach. Yes. I think that's a really good thing to do. So good luck with that. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on Women Over 70. Well, thank you. This has been a joy. Yes, thank you so much, Mary. Uh, And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook group at Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Become an active participant in our community and join us at our Zoom events. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us at womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.